Hey, all you New York listeners, I am really excited to tell you that I'm coming out to New York City. I'm going to be playing a show Friday, July 9th, 2021. Uh, I'm still hammering out the details. I know where I'm playing, but I don't know the address because I'm talking to the venue tonight. Like, I'm recording this a little early because I just want to make sure that you you have it kind of in the back of your head that I'm going to be out there. I'm going to hopefully be doing a uh, some product demos for After Later Audio and playing a show and maybe trying to do a live podcast thing. I don't know. I'm hammering it out. All I know is I'm going to be in the East Village Friday, July 9th, and I would love to meet you. So please, mark your calendars and come hang out with me. I don't know when I'll be back to New York again, so... Um, I also want to say thank you to Gregor Dis. This is his uh, track. It's called Cold Storage Unit. It's from his upcoming record, Errors and Regrets. It will be out July 1st, and I will put a link to his Bandcamp page in the show description. But I just want to remind everybody, if you have an album coming out and you want me to check it out and maybe throw it under some of my ramblings here in a PodMod intro, then hit me up at podmodcast at gmail.com. This, this album is really, really good. Um, so, yeah. Great work, Gregor. Gregor Dis. I love that name. It's it's just so weird sounding to me. It sounds like a kind of sounds like a uh, like a a knight in a like a fantasy novel or something. I dig it. Cold storage unit off of Errors Regrets. Let's listen to this for a second before we get into this episode. This week's episode of Podular Modcast is brought to you by the lovely people at Patchworks here in Seattle. Please visit them online at patchworks.com. That's P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S dot com for all your synthesizer needs. Also would like to thank Needham Woodworks for their continued support. If you want the most beautiful bureau rack case, if you want people to walk in your room and be stunned by the amazing piece of woodwork, amazing piece of furniture, piece of art that is in your house, then look no further than needhamwoodworks.com. Hello and welcome back to Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held and I'm very excited about this week's guest. We have Bertolt Meyer on the show, or should I say Dr. Bertolt Meyer, a professor of psychology at the Chemnitz University of Technology. Um, I'm just so interested in his research that he does with psychology and, um, you know, different biases we have towards different groups of people and stuff. So I kind of nerd out with him on that, but we also nerd out on modular synth stuff because um, he turned his uh, arm prosthetic into a CV controller. So we're going to talk a bit about that as well. Very fascinating conversation. Very fascinating person. Um, and he's an amazing synthesis. He did a really, really cool uh, performance for the, the recent Modular World uh, one-year anniversary and just like an awesome light show. And it's just, yeah, just really great music. And uh, it was a lovely chat. And we're going to get into that chat in a moment. But first, I want to talk to you about some modules that I've recently got. Um, that I'm going to be demoing over the next few weeks. I've, I've got my demo schedule filled out for the next couple weeks. I'm really excited about that. It probably over a month or two, actually. Um, 
The first one is at Neuzeit. Neuzeit. It's a German word. It means new time. Neu. I think Neu is new. Actually, this is. I should have. I should have asked Bertolt, but I got this after we talked. Um, the the Neu, the Neuzeit orbit. Um, I'm actually gonna do a little demo of that in a moment, but it's a crazy, crazy effect, like bit crushing, harmonizing, filtering. It's it's nuts. It's 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 just, yeah. I'll get to that in a moment. I also got the new sound destruction device uh, from Recovery Effects. Really excited about that. Um, that was one of my favorite pedals. Uh, that Greg released back in the day when I first met him. Um, and it does just what the name says. It destructs your sound. Um, and then when I was chatting with last week's guests, uh, Daniel Miller brought up that he worked with, uh, future sound systems on some modules. And so they sent me, uh, the, the Markow and the Stum, which are, they are just utility beasts. Um, and I can't wait to to test these out and demo them for you. But I'm just it's it's really funny. It's like talk about something that you can't really complain about. But, you know, like you get when you get a bunch of c cool, complex modules dumped over your head all at once, it's kind of hard to figure out what to do. I know you're sitting there feeling really, really sorry for me. Um, but, yeah, those are those are some of the modules that I'm going to be uh, uh, demoing here pretty soon. And uh, I'm really excited to share them with you because you know how I feel about a good utility module. Whoo-wee. Especially this. this I haven't figured out exactly what the stum does yet, but I, I have a, I, after reading the description of this Markow, I'm Macrow. Macrow. Macro. I've been saying it wrong. That's fucking embarrassing. I'm dyslexic, by the way. I don't know if I've shared that with you guys, but I am... I am dyslexic. Uh, <laughs> anyways, yes, this macro I'm very excited about. It's uh, there's six outputs, um, and then there is a there's a unipolar or bipolar giant attenuator that can go from uh, I guess when it's in bipolar mode it goes from negative ten to positive ten, and then each one of these outputs has uh, an attenuator attenuverter on it. Um, so that means you it, basically you'll be able to do really big changes uh, to like many different modules, six different modules in fact, um, with one turn of a potentiometer. That's why it's called macro, macro, because it's big. It's the opposite of micro. You make macro changes. Gosh, see, I'm I'm dyslexic. But I can put stuff together slower than the average person. So I've got that going for me. But yeah, check out the future sound systems um, stuff. Really, really cool. And uh, yeah, this is what you hear below me. I played last week. I'm really digging it. Um, it's just this like melodica thing that I recorded on my, my synth at the ocean. And hopefully a video coming out for that soon. But um, yeah, and while you're waiting for that video, I'd love it if you went over to my YouTube page and checked out... Uh, the, the other live performances slash live field recordings I've done with my backpack synth that was recently named by one of my uh, patrons in the Patreon champagne room on Discord, Helper Monkey. He asked me if I had a name for my uh, backpack sound mangling rig, and I didn't. And then I thought to myself, well, I can't keep calling it the synth pack because that's what I was like referring to it with like my friends and my wife. 
So I thought, backpack sound mangling rig is actually pretty cool. We'll call it the BSMR. BSMR, that kind of has a has a ring to it, doesn't it? And speaking of the Patreon champagne room, if you're wondering what that is, that is a special uh, Discord channel on the PodMod Discord server that only Patreon subscribers get access to. And, uh... Yeah, a lot of cool, fun stuff that I can't tell you about goes on in there because, uh, you know, it's 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 the the VIP room. So if you help me out on Patreon, I just want to say thank you. It really means a lot to me. Um, it's a fun way to interact with you, and I'm always open to new ideas of how I can kind of make it more exciting to be a patron for PodMod. So, uh, yeah, if you'd like to help keep the LEDs blinking over here at Podular Modcast, please visit patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. Okay, let's get into a little demo. I'm not going to go deep on this one this week because I just got it and I don't fully understand it, but I want to at least give you an idea of what it sounds like. So let's check out the Noisite Orbit. So what is Orbit? Orbit is, uh, it's a, it's actually could be a full synth voice. It's, it's a really complex and robust module, but let's talk about its main functions really quick. It has a bit crusher on it with invertible bits, has a harmonizer with up to five oscillators on it, a multi-mode filter. Um, there's a, you can have it, uh, either in band pass mode or low pass, high pass mode. And when you're in low pass, high pass mode, there is a knob to fade between low pass and high pass. There's an envelope generator with LFO function and... Uh, envelope follower on it, which I'm going to show you in this patch. It's one of my favorite things about it. There's a mixer with VCAs for the dry and wet mix. There's an input mixer with VPAs and everything is DC coupled. So that's a lot. So let's just take a listen. This is just a, a sample of a drum beat that I made with some chopsticks and I forgot what else, like a can or something. But let's turn this wet mix up and I'm just going to show you the bit crusher right now. I'm going to turn the dry mix all the way down, actually. So what's really cool is um, in the input, uh, the input chain here, there's a bass knob. There's a bass EQ. So then I had it all the way down. Now it's all the way up. All the way down. So that's with the bass all the way up. And I've got the input attenuator all the way up. Um, so I can turn that down. And of course, the input is going to affect the, the crushiness of the bit crusher. That's the technical term. So I've got that, I've got that pinned, I got the bass pinned. Now the rate is all the way up. Now listen to what happens as I turn the rate down. Now what's really cool is there is a sync button on this um, for the bit crusher. So if you're um, sending in a tone, let's just send in a tone really quick from an oscillator. This is uh, this is the um, recovery effects. Jupiter spirits going into this. What's going on here? There we go. Sorry about that. Um, so I'm gonna turn this sync off. So I'm messing with the bit the bit right here. Now if I hit the sync. The uh, it stays in in tune. It sinks. It sinks the the bit crushiness. Again, that technical term with the uh, the tone coming in. Now I'll turn it off. And I'll just I'm, I'm going to rearrange some of these bits because we can invert them or turn them off. So 
And I turned off the three out of four bits, and now I'll invert them. And you can just do all sorts of different combos with these four different buttons of inverting and turning off bits. And then there's a filter, of course, on it, which I haven't got to. But let's go back to that drum beat. Okay, so this envelope follower is, is really cool. So there's, here's the, f the filter I told you about. Let's, uh, so here's the fade between the low pass and high pass. Of course, it has a res uh, resonance on it. So put it, uh, that fade in the middle, manually control the filter, and of course there's a CV input for just about every knob I've, I've talked to you about. But let's do this envelope follower, it's one of my favorite parts. So now we're using the envelope on orbit to affect the filter, um, and the envelope is being triggered by the sound coming in. And there's an attack um, and a release on the envelope. And there's an envelope out, so I can use this envelope follower signal on another module um, along with the, the frequency here, so that's really cool. Let's, uh, let's turn that down now. So now this is just our dry signal, let's bring this harmonizer in. So that's still, uh, let me turn the, the envelope follower off, actually. <laughs> so there's all sorts of, like, octaves and stuff that you can add. There, there are five different, uh, or six different attenuators for this harmonizer section, and I'm not going to pretend to understand this part of the module yet. I only know that it sounds really cool. Let's turn that envelope follower back on. Um, so now I can dial in. I can, there's, there's a mixer, um, for the harmony, the harmonizer and the crush section. So now I've got them both like around noon. Um, I can also add a bunch of the dry signal. So this is just the, the main output, but there are dedicated outputs for the harm and the crush sections, so that's really, really cool. Uh, yeah, I think that's about all I can really talk about on this module, but let me just tell you that I just scratched the surface. There is so much more to this module. Um, so please go check it out. Uh, Noisite Orbit. The cloud, and we're rolling. Okay, now my first question is, I'm always very nervous about how to pronounce people's names. Is it, um, is it Bertolt? Yeah, very good, it's Bertolt. Okay, I mean, it, it seems like it's very a very phonetically, you know, pronounced name, but I didn't know if there was, I've never seen that name before, so I, had, I didn't know if there was something that I was missing about it. It's a very German first name, and it's also an old name, like typically parents these days, they don't name their kids Bertolt. It's, my parents were fans of this theater writer who was this left-wing figure. His name is Bertolt Brecht, and, you know, they adore him so much that they gave me this name. Okay. Well, if we have a kid, um, and if it's a boy, I'm, I want, I've talked to my wife into naming him uh, Haywood Floyd Held. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that would also be a name that no one would ever have. Um. <laughs> D- definitely same ballpark, I'd say. Yeah, right. yeah same category. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just think it would be like we would call him Floyd, and I just think it'd be really funny to see a little toddler walking around bumping into things and being like, "Hey, Floyd, watch out!" You know, it's just not a name that you would like think of a little kid. <laughs> So, um, are you, you uh, born and raised in, in Germany then? Yeah, yeah, I'm German. I'm German. I was uh, born and raised in West Germany. I'm from the city of Hamburg. Okay, okay. Um, I always like to get people's background. I definitely want to get into uh, some of the specifics of your, your academic work. Um, oh. Being, I'm, I, 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 I'm from an ac- academic, academic background in a way. I went to grad school. I'm all but thesis, so I never finished my thesis. My, my graduate department kind of fell apart. So I'm, I'm always interested when I get to talk to somebody who's a real academian, um, who, who does really, really interesting research. And, um, and I definitely want to get to that. And, uh, but I like to just get to know, I want to get to know you first. So you grew up in Hamburg. Okay. So, yeah, I grew up in Hamburg. Um, my parents aren't from there. My parents' background is they're from a ca- very Catholic, very conservative small town that they sort of fled when they graduated from high school. They're actually high school sweethearts. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, and then after studying, uh, so my father studied linguistics and my mother first a little bit of a dabble in music and then she turned out to be a historian. They settled down in Hamburg, which is the second largest city in Germany. So I'm a big city kid. I've Mm -hmm. always loved uh, the big city. And I've lived in Hamburg until I was 20, 21-ish. And then I moved to Berlin, um, mm-hmm. which was kind of the only place to move to if you didn't want to move to a smaller um, city. Uh-huh. And I was... I always had this... For a long time, I had this dream to move to Berlin because in my in the back of my mind, it had this... I don't know, this... Uh, this image of, of adventure. You know, I always thought, you know, uh, Berlin would be a, a kind of a fun playground in a way. And... Um, so I moved to Berlin when I was 21. No, that's rubbish. I moved to Berlin when I was 23, actually. So this was still during my undergraduates. And well, I just, uh, it doesn't really matter. So I was still studying <laughs> psychology at the time. Um, I had a bit of a stint in computer science, actually. I'd, like After okay. I graduated from high school, I thought I'd become a computer scientist. I studied it for three semesters. I was very, very unsuccessful. I just wasn't very good at it. <laughs> um, yeah, it still fills me with shame, <laughs> really. And then I switched to psychology, and that was, uh, that was, I realized that this was something more to my liking and also more to my abilities. And uh, so I moved to Berlin, um, and the, the, the city fulfilled its, its, its promise to me. I got absolutely absorbed in club culture for a year or two. Like, you know, any, any young adult who comes to Berlin kind of, you get sucked in yeah. uh, into, the, into, the, into the club culture. And, you know, I, I, I experienced a subculture that I'd never, never seen before. It was absolutely amazing. I met so many great people. I, and, uh, and I met this, these people who ran uh, a small um, queer party. I was, I was very much, I, I started out with, so, I mean, this was the early noughties, right? So at least in Europe, this was French house. Like, you know, this was the, this was the beginning of Daft Punk, uh, people like Bangalter, mm-hmm. um, Etienne de Crissy, you know, these were the names that were big at the time. Um, 
But I also mm-hmm. always had a bit of a sub-liking uh, to more grungy uh, kind of music that we would call indie. And, uh, yeah, you know, bands like, I don't know, Placebo, Franz Ferdinand, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, and there, was this, there was this group of people who I became friends with, and they started running um, a gay uh, indie party catering primarily to a student crowd. Um, and that's where I started DJing uh, after some uh, time. And then, interestingly, Interestingly, this party gradually evolved into something much more electronic and uh, and techno. But uh, right until I left Berlin in 2007, I um, I played there, um, and that was kind of the the beginning of my of my dabbling into um, into music. Really. Okay. Yeah, and then I uh, yeah I graduated I graduated from university. I also did my PhD uh, in Berlin. Um, Met my wonderful husband uh, in Berlin uh, in a club at a party. Uh, we got that was already in 2002, and we got married in 2007. And then I moved to uh, to Switzerland in Zurich for my postdoc. So that was the end of the Berlin chapter. Right. Okay. Oh God, sorry. That was a very long story. Now. No. That, hey, I, that's it. as a podcast host. With every second you talk, just the more relief. You know, the more weight comes off of my shoulders because then I don't have to do as much. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I know from just some of the videos that I've seen and some interviews from that I've seen of you that you've uh, you kind of you started with DJing. I was wondering when you mentioned you got kind of sucked into that club scene. Were you were you kind of dabbling with with DJing before that? Or is it because you were just so inundated in that scene that you kind of wanted to participate? That's a good question. Um, so I had a little bit of musical training when I was a child uh, or a teenager. I went through a Yamaha music school uh, in Hamburg and learned the basic of a D, the basics of a DX7 uh, mm-hmm. at the time. So kind of like I've always had a liking to electronic music, and I've always also been kind of a pop culture enthusiast i have a pretty large song and record collection and i've always and this idea to to dj it was probably a little bit to 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 participate i think that's a very good way of putting it there um but i also felt without I felt that I wanted to share something. I think the great, the great joy of DJing is is that allows you to to share some of your emotions mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. a group of people through music, and. If it works, you know, if people click to the vibe and to the emotionality that you're trying to transport, it's an absolutely liberating feeling. You kind of become one with a group of people through through music and emotion. And and I and I and I I sought that. And you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, you, <laughs> yeah. you, you can you can have massive failure evenings uh, as a DJ, and I think it doesn't get talked about uh, enough you know sometimes it really clicks with the audience and sometimes you really screw it up um, and that's part of the learning <laughs> that's funny yeah I, it's it's um you just made me think of something is like djing 
I, I see a DJ as like the the hyper sped up version of maybe being a a label boss, like a record label, like because you're curating what you want, and maybe I feel like so, like a lot of the labels that I'm drawn to, maybe the the curator, the the founder of that label, is it's almost a mode of self expression by collecting all these these things that they want to share with other people, and I feel like with DJing, if you're doing other people's music, you're doing it in real time, like instantaneously. I, I agree, but I think uh, p- probably as a slight differentiation to the record label executive, um, it's even more so also a service that you're rendering. At least that's oh, yes. uh-huh. how I think about it. You know, I mean, if you if you DJ in a club, I think you can never forget that there is a bunch of people there who paid money to enter. Um, some of like probably most of them don't give a damn about you. They just right. want to have a good time, mm-hmm. and if, and they they have they do expect something, and you have to cater to their expectations. And if you can deliver something on top, something that they like that they didn't know before, you know something where they go, oh, wow, like you know what a great set, then good for you. But at the end of the day, I've you know there's a, especially in Berlin there is a very obnoxious brand of DJs. Um, who, where, where at least I sometimes have the feeling, you know, they don't care yeah. about the crowd. Um, and yeah, it's, and maybe that's part of the act too. Um, but I always felt that that was something very, very condescending. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think to kind of touch on some of the stuff that you've talked about in like the, your TED talk and some of your research is it's a it's a community thing people find their identities through this community and and as the dj Absolutely. you're you almost have a an obligation to be kind of this this glue or foundation or this this kind of meeting point this i can't find the right word but you're 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 conducting the activity that is the basis for the community so you want to make sure you're you're like like you said in service of the the thing that everybody's showing up for I, I really like to underscore one thing you just said, uh, and mm-hmm. that really struck a tone with me. That you said that people find their identities in these subcultures, mm-hmm. and that is, that rings so true uh, to me. I, I I'd say I you know I was pretty lost when I when I came to Berlin. I was very very insecure. I didn't I didn't really know how and where to fit in. And it was through these subcultures that I kind of found found my identity. Just just like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that community, and it's something that I, I don't want to get too in the weeds on this, but something you, you were kind of touched on in your TED talk with the different type of um, I forgot how how exactly you were wording it, but there was basically the the warmth and the competence kind yeah, of the those those two yeah. Th- yeah the stereotypes and something that we're dealing with insane like just very intensely here in the United States as you I'm sure you're well aware of it's just this this huge divide and this huge this this problem of extreme racism still and just really hateful ideologies um are you know 47 percent of our country my parents you know this is something that I'm dealing with my parents and 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 people that I went to school with um and I don't know your 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 research that you were kind of talking about I I just feel like it's a, it's a relatively simple idea, these two 
these two data points that you talk about, but you need just a little bit of critical thinking skills to be able to integrate that into your life. And that's, I feel like that's the thing we're really missing here. Um, so I, I don't know that kind of as a, like a really downer way to kind of put a brick wall in front of our conversation that was going so well up until now, <laughs> no, no, but uh, no. it's something that I thought of. And I just, because you're, you know, you're steeped in this research, a lot of people listening are probably experiencing something similar that I am with their parents or their friends. Um, do you have any insights or advice how to, how to conduct ourselves with them as far yeah. as that goes? Wow, you're touching upon very, very difficult subjects. So in a nutshell, a large part of my research is about diversity and stereotypes towards uh, minorities. Um, And there is a very useful model uh, by an American social psychologist. Her name is Susan Fisk. She's been around for a long time. She's She's a wonderful researcher. And she came up with this model, which is called the stereotype content model, which basically says... Every stereotype about a social group, you know, the nerds, the doctors, the housewives, the police officers, every social group, you know, there are the superficial stereotypes like, you know, old people are hard of hearing and Italians make good pasta, these kind of, you know, the the superficial uh connotation. But what her theory says is that at the heart of each stereotype, there is two pieces of information about how people from a certain social group are. And these, and these are two dimensions, and that's warmth and competence. Warmth is whether we think that people from a certain social group have good intentions, then that they come across as warm, or we feel that they come across as having bad intentions, and then they come across as cold. And independently of that, they can be more or less competent. So, and, and people who are high on competence, or groups who are high on competence, um, you know, they can put their intentions into actions, and people who are low on competence, they can't. And basically, you can draw a two-dimensional like coordinate system with warmth on the one axis and, and competence on the other, and you can place different social societal groups Asians, blacks, Jews, able-bodied people, people with disabilities, homeless people, and so forth. You can place them in these grid on the on the basis of a lot of a lot of empiric research. And for example, it shows that homeless people are perceived as cold and incompetent. So mm-hmm. we ascribe them bad intentions, but they're not competent enough to put them into actions. That's why they're not a threat, and that's why we treat them with contempt and ignorance. Because what the Mm -hmm. model says, if you don't know a person, your attributions of warmth and competence to that person's group will dictate how you feel towards the person and you how you will behave towards the person. Mm-hmm. And I think a fundamental problem of the polarized society that we have, the issues that you might experience with your with your parents, is that we've come to a point where where different different political camps have become the same as identities have become the same as social groups mm-hmm. and we attribute warmth and competence to our own group and we see the others on the other side of the aisle basically as enemies and we assume that they have bad intentions you know we basically assume no these are not just political opponents with different views but these are mean evil people mm-hmm. and that creates an entire different sense of responses and that's rejection harm these 
these responses are triggered if I per, if I think that somebody else is cold and competent, and that's why we've taken a, a political discussion and 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 made it extremely personal. We don't deal with other opinions or point of views. We deal with enemies, and it's mm -hmm. difficult. It's really really difficult to get out of that. And if you're asking for like practical advice. Like the only it's thing a, it's a big question I, I really <laughs> it's a big question and I and you know I don't have simple answers to that I wish there were but you know the 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 the, the prime condition for reducing stereotypes is and this is research from the 1950s this is Alpert's book The Nature of Prejudice which is from 1954 so it's a wonderful book and the first thing is contact. If you don't have contact to people who are different from you, the only information you have about the people who are different from you is stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't cut off contacts to people who don't think like you. Um, try to stay in touch. Um, and if there is a family bond, that can be the only bond through which people who are fundamentally of different opinions can still be reached but it's painful and it hurts and and sometimes you just don't want to talk about certain things sorry i've yeah. i've almost given like a I've, I've started delivering a lecture here i apologize it's a no bit this is oh, this is all great and i just realized that like well i i'm not trying to do i do i owe you for the hour of psychotherapy now but it's <laughs> i'm not a clinical i'm no. not a clinical psychologist I, I you know i couldn't even charge you right no i just think uh, i think you hit on a couple things in there that um are actually why i brought this up and and the, it's it's the it's the the community becoming the identity and that now like the the politics thing like my parents are full in on this this identity thing and then right. also the the exposure thing that you're just talking about like it's so funny to me that that this link can't be made by because i'm from much like your parents i'm from a small catholic conservative town and i got out as soon as i i could um i still love it it's beautiful in the mountains and stuff but it's it's definitely behind as far as if they heard our conversation right now, they would, you know, they would have things to say about us and, and it wouldn't be too nice. Um, but it's just this exposure thing. It's like I grew up, there were, a, there were a couple half Mexican kids and a couple half black kids in my school. Everybody else is white and you don't have any exposure to anybody but white. And right. Surprise, surprise, a bunch of people that never left home are still racist. And they make fun of the people who move to the city. Oh, big city people who, who just believe everything that the colleges say. It's like, no, we just experienced new people and saw that the people that, you, that we were afraid of as kids don't pose the threat that, we, that the news tells us that they do and everything. So, um, yeah, it's just yeah. it's it's hard to get away from this stuff, and I know a lot of people come to this show to not think about this kind of stuff. So to the listeners, I, I apologize for that. But your research just—I I loved your TED talk, and I'm just so interested in this stuff. And I figure while I had your while I had your ear, I'd like to I'd like to pick your brain a little bit. <laughs> it's it's my it's my absolute pleasure. I, I just was prepared for it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, kind of sprung it on you. This this is a mo this is a, a a modular podcast after all. But um, yeah, if you have anything else to say on that, um, I don't want to cut you off. But uh, we could also move on because I I see I see a lot of synths behind you, and we definitely should talk about those. 
<laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 I'll try to make a connection from the stereotypes to the to the synths, um, and that is. <clears throat> so the thing is with stereotypes, they're always a gross overgeneralization, and no single person is all is like the stereotype about their group. So, and that's why stereotypes are always unfair. Mm -hmm. um, we should always, you know, look at at the single person and at their behavior to form judgment, not at the stereotypes. And the reason probably why I went into this research is, of course, that, you know, my, my own experiences with, with stereotypes in my life, they have played a role. So on the one hand side, you know, growing up as a, as a gay man, you get, get your share of, of stereotypes, you know, surrounding the entire gender issue. But, but for me, the more salient a thing was growing up with a, with a very visible physical disability. You know, I was born without my lower left arm. And, uh, and that is something that, you know, for a very long time I thought of as, hmm, you know, as something that makes, you know, you know something that would lay heavy on my self-esteem. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, you feel a sense of shame and you feel a sense of, of, of not, of, you know, of, of, not being in, of not being complete, you know, in the true sense of the word. And I wish it wasn't mm -hmm. so. And there is a lot of great role models who show that you, you know, that you can have, you know, very high levels of self-esteem despite much worse disabilities that, that I have. But I, you know, I didn't really have that thick skin until technology came along um, and I you know I received my first set of the new type of prosthesis that you know that are more now become more common which are colloquially called you know bionic prosthesis where you know you have a fully articulating hand and so forth mm -hmm. and I realized that wow this is a technology that can help me th achieve things that I wasn't able to do before you know at this and at the same time I I started my dive into the modular synthesis world um, because I realized that these instruments, I don't really know why, but they really speak to me on a really, really emotional level. You know, I, mm -hmm. I adore these devices. I think about these devices probably more than I should. Same. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, why is it that you, you're on a train or you're waiting at a bus stop and you just start thinking about new patch ideas and how to... It's so... It, and I don't know what it is. It's just... There's so many things about it. And anyway, so I, but here was another point where I felt, damn, here's the moment where my disability is really hindering me because it's really difficult to turn all these tiny knobs with a hand prosthesis. But then the idea came up to build a custom hand prosthesis that is able to convert the electrode signals that my prosthesis picks up from my residual limb into CV to really plug. Mm -hmm in the literal sense of the word, to plug my prosthesis into the synth. And once that started to work, once we had the first prototype that's working, that was working, I realized, wow, with this technology, my disability isn't really very much of a disability anymore. Mm -hmm. In fact, I can probably, you know, cut the filter quicker in this way than an mm -hmm. able-bodied person can. So for me, as odd as that may sound, uh, my 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 journey into modular synthesizer world to me has been extremely empowering because we were able to DIY a device together that turns my disability into an ability mm. in this small modular space that is so important to me and that has been a great source of joy 
in uh, uh, in my life really, and that has really made me form an even more emotional bond with these hideously expensive machines. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, ask if this, like that, what you were just describing, this love of modular and how you're thinking of patch ideas while you're at the train station or whatever. Um, like, I imagine this breakthrough now with being able to include your prosthesis with it has probably just exploded that because you're probably not only thinking of new patch ideas, but new ways of incorporating it. Oh, I could, I could do this or I could do that. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. I just, I just got a new sequencer. Uh, mm -hmm. I just got, it was just in the mail yesterday. I don't know if you, it's a, it's a squall pyramid. Uh -huh. Um, and uh, and the great thing about it is, um, I, w I was looking for a new powerful sequencer to be at the center of my of my rig, really. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what I'm what I'm trying now. I've tried quite a few and was never really satisfied. But it has very very capable uh, abilities to map um, an incoming CV signal to many different CCs and so forth. And I'm thinking, Oh, this opens really new possibilities for what the sin limb can do. Um, you know, I, I'd be able to do so much more, uh, with the, with the prosthesis now, if I send the CV into the squarp and then, you know, let it do its thing. Anyways, I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm just starting to try it out, but you're right. Okay. Well, sorry, I, you, your connection kind of got bad there, but so, but from what I gathered is you're, you're just now, you're kind of, you're finding a way to use the, the sequencer as your bridge between the thing, the whole thing and, and, and switching functions yeah. on the prosthesis. In parts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You can, you can, with that, you know, you, I convert the signals from the, from the prosthesis into CC messages and notes and chords and, you know, many more, oh, many wow. more capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I imagine like uh, on the, the interview I saw, one of the interviews I saw, it looked like you basically had, you know, basically two, two, um, two, two, two cables CVs, running and that's out. what it yeah. is. That's what yeah. it is. We're, we're trying, we're trying to increase the number of channels, but the thing is, there's only so many electrodes on the surface of my skin um, that I can right, control, right. and and so yeah. Yeah. Um, something else I was thinking of when you when you talked about how. Um, and, 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 and you talked about this in some of your, your, your TED talk with um, the technology somehow can give you an, like, I, won't, I don't, I won't want to say an advantage because I don't want to get into that, that slippery slope like you were talking about. But, but something, it, it offers you something that people without the prosthesis don't have. Like your first example was how you can twist the hand all the way around 360 degrees. One thing I was wondering, because th something I hear a lot with people when they are maybe having frustration with 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 their synth with their modular synth is is f finding a way that they feel like they're actually playing it and integrating with it yes. you know like you can just set yes. up a patch and watch it go for an hour and if you're good at it you can it can do that it won't repeat itself so if you're how do you like i'm wondering if this is maybe giving you some some like some advantage not advantage but some sort of like in to to be more just part of the whole thing that's happening more interactive and, and feel like maybe you're more uh controlling what's happening and whatnot so i fundamentally agree with your point that in order to enjoy your synth i personally think you need to perform it and i would mm -hmm. add with others and that can be either in front of others uh, but also with other 
synthesists. Um, I get a tremendous joy uh, out of jamming with other people uh, without any clear aim or goal. Uh, you know, just meet up, you know, plug your systems together for three hours and just, you know, jam. And so and and that's performing right and mm-hmm. and that is and that is something that i find most most satisfactory but you know this this is just me other other people get large amounts of joy out of tweaking a few knobs in the solace mm-hmm. of the room just by themselves and that's and that's absolutely fine that's absolutely fine i'm just you know i think you need to inside the modular niche you need to find your niche um, but I agree with you that performing the synth interacting with the synth gives a tremendous amount of joy because you start to form a kind of complex system you and the synth it's not just the synth um, but it's you and the synth. And the great thing with modulars is, other than a keyboard, with a keyboard, basically, you are the synth, right? You you play mm-hmm. the synth, and if you stop playing, you know, the music stops happening. Um, mm-hmm. And with a, with, a, with a generative patch, you press play, and the synth plays, and you do nothing. Mm-hmm. But with modular synthesizers, you can be anywhere in between. You know, have, mm-hmm. the, have the sequence to go, but at the same time, you know... Uh, you know, tweak a filter here, or bring in a new pattern there, open a new channel here, and so forth. So basically, you start to become a socio-technical system, a system that consists of you <laughs> yeah. as the performer and the machine. Uh-huh. And you do things, and uh-huh. the machine does things, also autonomously, uh-huh. and you, together you interact. But for that, you need some sort of interface between you and the machine. For me, that can be the, 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 the prosthesis, which gives me a very, very immersive and deep bond. But you don't have to have a prosthesis to have that, you know? Right. Uh, just tweaking the filter at the right moment, uh, you know, finding that sweet spot for the first time, you know? Mm-hmm mixing the oscillator in a way that you never did before for the first time and you just and you just go wow this sounds so amazing <laughs> and you know that you know these 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 happy accidents and also interfacing with your synths there are so many great obscure modules out there that allow mm-hmm. you to interface with your synth on whole new levels just two examples and there's the uh, ADAC, I think, 303, uh, which is a muscle sensing module that allows you to connect medical electrodes like you would use for having your heart rate read in a uh-huh, hospital. Uh-huh. You can connect that to the module, and then your body, the muscle where you stick it on, will serve as a CV source. Oh my um, gosh, I have awesome. two of those. It's amazing. <laughs> it's And it's basically doing exactly the same as my prosthesis does. So if you mm-hmm. want to have my experience, you don't need to chop off your arm. You just need to get two ADAC 303 modules. Or, uh-huh. for example, there's this wonderful little um, uh, 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 synthesizer shop in, in the north German city of Bremen. They're called Instruments of things and they came up with mm-hmm. this it was a kickstarter and it was what was it called sync 2.4 and mm-hmm. it's um um, and, and it's a, a wireless a module it has an antenna and it interfaces with um motion sensors so basically oh, you can yeah. stick motion sensors to your body and the way you move your body can you know um modulate your lfo and whatever um, so there are all of these great capabilities uh, out, out there to become a system with your synth, which is, I think, um, for, for a lot of people, is, is, is the sweet spot for, for, 
in terms of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it makes me think of like almost like a, a singularity kind of, um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like vantage point to look at it from like this kind of like blurring the lines of where the technology and the biology, like where that line is, you know, like I think I, you know, with like Genki instruments with the wave and stuff like that, I think that people are, are becoming more interested in that aspect of it. I'm fascinated to see where it goes. But what I really like about the modular synth community is that we explore these kind of boundaries, but in a very playful and in a very low level way. Because come on, at the end, it's CV. You know, we're not building highly, it's not rocket science, right? It's just, come on, it's just (laughs) analog voltages, you know? Even me as a psychologist Uh (laughs) can understand, you know, the the, the basic principles of of circuitry when it comes to analog um, signals. So even a a dud like me can, with some soldering skills, can can solder together um, a hack like the SynLimp. And there's so much great Mm -hmm. DIY stuff that on the one hand side is actually quite simple when you look at the science behind it but on the other mm-hmm. side is really pushing the boundaries or maybe exploring no ter- new territories when it comes to artistic expression and especially this kind of playful DIY approach to things is something that I really really adore in, yeah. in the modular yeah. community I love hearing your, your enthusiasm you're like I, I feel like you have you're, well you're a professor for one right like I, f- I feel like you have, I, 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 I'm, what's the word I'm looking for? I feel like we're kindred spirits in that. Like I wanted to start this podcast because I wanted to speak about the things that I'm so passionate about passionately at someone other than my wife. So she would, you know, <laughs> she, she could only listen to me talk about it for so long. Um, but I'm also hearing, I feel like maybe there, like if there was a Venn diagram of your, of where you kind of your passion for your academia and your passion for modular, it seems like there's, there's a pretty good overlap and it's, and I've heard you use terminology that makes me think that you kind of think of things in a similar way. And I'm wondering if, if, if you think that's true, have you thought about that or in, and if so, or if not, do you, how much do you think your studying of psychology influences the way you look at the actual system and patching it? That's, a tough question, um, <laughs> because sometimes I, uh, being an academic um, who is part of the academic world that comes with a lot of time constraints, pressure, and very high work demands, I sometimes struggle to, to justify uh, to myself uh, the amount of time, um, not to speak about the amount of money uh, that I spend mm-hmm. um, on, on modular uh, things, and it's you know it's it's also a source of uh of conflict at home and rightly so i can i can you know i can i can i can relate to that so on the one hand side uh i i i sometimes almost feel guilty uh to be honest um for investing so much cognitive um effort um into this um entire modular uh, endeavor but then again i'm so drawn to it uh, that I can't, I can't really help myself, and it just, it just feels right. So, mm-hmm. does psychology change, or does knowledge in academic psychology, I, I should say, change how you look at a patch? Probably a little bit in the sense of that a lot of training in academic psychology is 
having to think in complex systems and how things interact with each other because you know at least in a part in parts of society we do think of human behavior as a sequence of uh, there is a signal to an organism and it creates a response and i mean basically that's how a brain cell works right it's it it Mm -hmm. gets a signal it creates a you know it creates a response and gives out a response so if you're trained in in thinking of complex systems and how they inter- how they're intertwined and how they interact i think it gives you a good hmm, a good soil <laughs> for growing yeah. for growing patch ideas onto it and also something else academic training in psychology is a lot about statistics it's a lot about probabilities and distributions and mm-hmm. that really helps when you if you're into generative patches and generative ideas so if you know if you for example the, looking at a maths for example i remember when i first saw the maths and thing and i thought oh this is brilliant this is a function generator you know mm-hmm. so it creates slopes and so and 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 so forth or you look at the turing machine or i don't know any sequences where you where there's about you know where there's chances with higher probabilities and and, and less probabilities for example in the ornamental crime you know there is the p mm-hmm. parameter which is of course the likelihood and you you know you if you're if you're if, if any kind of training in statistics um, so any kind of social sciences will probably help with that and in my area of psychology uh, which is which is work in organizational psychology also we tend to think of the world as socio-technical systems and that's Mm -hmm. how I think about humans interacting with their synthesizers yeah that's fascinating man I could talk about this stuff all day I I, I sometimes think about um, like when you learn something new, you've na- made a new connection between neurons or, or whatever you're making. You're creating these new neural pathways. And it's funny, like, if you learn a new patching technique, you're kind of doing the same thing outside that's happening inside your brain. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm repeating oh. these connections so many times that they're, like, could become solidified as a, I patch this output to this input, and I know it does this. Well, in my brain, I have also created, I've patched this neuron to this neuron to know that if I patch this output to this input, it does the same thing, and that becomes a new piece of knowledge. <laughs> that is such a wonderful analogy. I've never thought of it. I think I just thought of it. <laughs> but that's so that's so great. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You know, if if we learn something it means we create a new connection and the more we the more frequently we do that, uh, the more that becomes ingrained in mm-hmm. in our brain and it's basically the same what we do when we patch the synth, right? We Yeah. We we, we create new pathways. And, and the more often we do it, especially if we get some reinforcement out of it, you know, if we enjoy mm-hmm. what we hear, if other people say, oh, that's great or whatever, if it, you know, if it propels your YouTube video to new heights right, um, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, th- 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 you, you, it becomes ingrained, it becomes reinforced. It's such a great analogy. I need to think this more through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, and then it becomes habitual too. And then you got to like keep yourself in check. Am I always making this first connection am i always putting am i always putting maths into x y or z as the yeah. first connection i make in every patch i i found i've 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 fallen into those ruts before where i'm like i have to just take this module out of my system so i stop doing the same because i'm just making the same patch over and over again which in a way can be good because then you can finally like get to the perfect patch but um 
Yeah, I think these are but just the things that, also, that keep us. Yeah. Yeah, but I think you're touching upon another very important um, feature of the of the modular synthesizer that, at, at least for me, is something that really draws me to it, and that's it's a really limited space. Uh, in terms of your possibilities, um, you know, when I started to tr to try and make my own music, I probably like everybody else, I started with a with a with a DAW. You know, I started with Ableton, but you know, the the possibilities are just so endless, and I feel like I'm way too stupid, and my my knowledge is way <laughs> too limited to be creative in this infinite space of possibilities. Whereas the modular, mm -hmm. you know. You know, my thick brain can wrap itself around the concept. <laughs> if there's, an, if you don't see a button for it, you can't do it. Duh. So, right? It's you, you, you drastically reduce the number of of possibilities that you have to a much smaller space, and you need mm -hmm. to be creative in that space. But at the same time, it's a space that you can have a, a functional, a functional working mental model uh, of, because mm -hmm. that it's you know, let's be honest, like these boxes are not that complicated um, right right and but but, but so th this reduced amount of complexity um for me it makes me more creative at least that's how i feel and that's why i can absolutely uh bond with you in, in the sense that sometimes you need to take a module out of your system uh to become more creative what i tend to do is i'm a bit of a hoarder when it comes to modules <laughs> I, I can hardly, see that behind you <laughs> yeah 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 i know i know i know i know I can't ah, you know, I can't I, I can't talk any shit. I've got a bunch of myself. So. Yeah. I'm a bit of a hoarder, um, but I don't. I so so I have this kind of it's 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 the it's the big system that you see on uh, on your right hand side. It's kind of the mm -hmm. I call it the rest the rest system. It's where all of the modules go that that, that don't <laughs> fit into those two smaller mobile cases. Because my philosophy is I want to I want to be able to take my set to places. I want to go out. I I'm not the person who yeah yeah brilliant. So what's that? 104 HP. Yeah, it's a 7U, yeah. it's the Make Noise 7U. And that's, yeah, look. I, I have other cases and I do have the bigger case, but I'm same. I want to be able to take this with me. See, I have a, I have a 7U104 here, which is an Eowave case on the left, and then a 6U104 case on the right. And basically, what I'm working, what I'm really working towards is treating them conceptually as decks, like you would as a DJ. Uh, so oh, the one is okay, the deck on okay. the left, and the other one is the deck on the right. So I mm -hmm. can have one, like, play a sequence that, that involves maybe some patterns that are already programmed, and while that's playing, I have some time to you know to to do something new on the other and then i can you know i can pull the fader over to uh to uh, you know to, to to get the variation so i kind of i kind of ping pong from one mm -hmm. case to the to the other case at, at least that's the conceptual idea i still have there's still a lot of kinks that i need to iron out yeah so, so that's so, a good way to the, like yeah oh sorry go ahead no i just, so uh, but whatever doesn't go into these two it goes uh -huh. into the rest case. But sometimes <laughs> I, you know, sometimes when I run out of ideas, I just sit in front of the rest case and, and have to work with the constraints that are, that are in front of me. And there's not a great sequence in there and there's, there's hardly any effects in there. So mm -hmm. yeah, and, but that can then lead to, to many more um, creative ideas. So it's like, like the constraints in the modular world is yeah. at least for me, is a great fuel for creativity. Definitely. Sounds like you approach, so uh, you're approaching this from kind of a DJ perspective. I love this two decks um, switching between the two systems. It's kind of like not 
not only are you having that variation to have fun and interact and keeping plenty of opportunities to interact, but I imagine with that setup, I know you said there's some kinks to work out and everything, but you can probably play a pretty decently lengthy set with that because that's always the hardest part and with modular. Man, I couldn't agree more. I <laughs> couldn't agree more. You know, I think if you have a, have a if you have a good system, it's pretty easy to get, you know, seven or ten great sounding minutes out of your setup. Uh-huh. But the challenge is to play an hour without becoming boring and too repetitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's where the challenge is. And but then again, look at a classic rock band. So you have a guitar player, a bass player, and a drummer. It's just three instruments. It's just mm -hmm. it's just two voices and percussion. And mm -hmm. you know, they can fill an hour with with different songs, but it means you have to have different songs. And there's one cue that I took from the YouTube channel of Ricky Tynes, who's not mm -hmm. really a modular synthesis, but he's just so laid back and there's so much you can learn from him. And mm -hmm. he said this one sentence about playing doorless in a club. He said, nobody wants to watch or listen to you building a track you know nobody right. wants that in a in a performance environment you need to show up with at least some material that will carry you through half an hour and the rest is improvisation um mm -hmm. and that's still what i have to work on but you're exactly right the the entire idea for my setup is to have something that can play an hour or so of music without boring people while still being portable. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's that seems to be the challenge of um, you know, I did I did a couple like online lessons over over COVID last year, um, and that was that was the thing that I tried to instill most in like whatever you have in your setup, find a way to stretch it out and create some sort of variation whether it's timbral va variation or yeah. melodic variation or effects That's you know tricky. like it's and it doesn't take as much as as you would think i think sometimes to create variation within the audience um you know you can play the same sequence over and over as long as you're changing timbres or vice versa if you're doing it in an interesting enough way I agree. I, yeah. uh, I, I agree, but I think it becomes even more difficult if you if you're sticking to the same sequence, and you're just working with timbre. And you, I think you have to be, well, at least you have to be much better than I am. <laughs> to, <laughs> Me too. Uh, to pull this that off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this is all philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's why, really, I have a, I have a very strong sweet spot. Um, or I think really a lot about sequences. Um, yeah, definitely. To me, sequences are an absolute fundamental core ingredient of my of my modular system. You know, I, I really enjoy a, a beautiful generative patch or soundscape, but the kind of music that I'm trying to make and the music that I'm trying to make, so my goal is I would, I want to have, I want people to have a good time. I want to play something that's at least theoretically danceable to. I want to play something that people would like to dance to. That's all I right. want to do. Um, and and if you, so if you're, if you're stuck between 120 and, and, and 130 BPM like I am, and in the kind of four to the floor grid, basically what what can you do, right? You can play different melodies, you can have different bass lines, different chord progressions, different filter settings. And to be honest, I cheat a little bit with samples. Um, oh but my God. In, 
I'm almost <laughs> exclusively sampler and, and, and processor based right now. <laughs> Man, good. Yeah. I, f I feel really, because, you know, there are purists out there. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, especially when it comes to percussion, I think, you know, having, you know, a, you know, a disting. A disting is, is you yeah. know, for example, the, the clocked sample playback in the disting. It's a very powerful tool um, mm -hmm. to, you know, just have some percussion loop, uh, some atmospheric loop in the background underneath your percussion, um, and 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 that will dramatically change the nature of what you're playing. Just change the sample, um, mm -hmm. and also have like both of my drum voices. So in the in the one case, um, I rely on a on a on a VPME.de uh, quad drum voice, uh, which is a five find okay. absolutely amazing uh, because. On the one hand side, it has a synth engine built in to do kind of really analog or digital VCO based um, percussions, but it can also act as a sample player and you can load up any sample um, that's then, then triggered. So it's really, really versatile and it gives a great large range of, 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 different, of different beats. So that's, that's how you can do But coming back to the sequences, especially if you want to play a long stretch of music, it's really great to have some sequences even if just peace of mind for you as a performer, where you know, okay, this works, this is like a nice song, this is like, in DJ terms, this is the floor filler I can always revert right. back to when I screw things up. Um, <laughs> and that's why I think a great sequencer is, is important. And I've been relying on the, um, on the, uh, on the Eloquencer from, from Minter Modular for the past five years. And it's really been my go-to sequencer. But in all honesty, especially with this 2K setup, it is reaching its limits. Um, yeah. Uh, especially in terms of uh, track length. And also what I really don't like about it is when you load a new project, the clock stops or the clock doesn't keep in sync. So you can, people can hear if you load a new project. It's a tiny detail, but to me, that's an absolute deal breaker. I yeah, need to have a sequencer rough. that can load a new project without screwing up the clock. And the eloquence have, can't do that. Have you uh, heard that's of That's why the I'm giving Metron? the pyramid a try. Oh, okay. That all right. The Metron from WMD I found is, and I, I think per, I think sequences are maybe some <sighs> of the most personal modules you can get. But yeah, I think it's. Right. I th that one I I just can really interface with that like with my brain I can really gel with that one. I have I did have a very very close look at the at the metron. Sorry, it just took me a while to to remember that. But isn't that just a trigger sequence or a gate sequence? It's, is, it has a is there, it, it is it has a um a, a four HP expander for um four different uh, CV sequence outs on it. So it is, it's pretty, it's pretty right. real estate wise. It's pretty big. Um, but what I do, I, what I like about it is, um, yeah, I could just, I can just clock all, I use it as my clock and I just clock all my modulation with it as well. So, um, cause it's got the 16 outs and I don't need 16 gate sequences typically like wow. for drums or anything. So it's, yeah, but it, it's pretty, it's pretty spacious, but if you got the room, I think it's, and, 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 uh, you can daisy chain the, the four HP, um, uh, expander, so you get up to eight, yeah. I think, sequence outs, uh, CV sequence outs on it. It's it's a thing, yeah. It's and, and I think that's also a very personal decision to make whether you want the sequencer in the rack or external. Yep, I always did totally. want to have it in the rack, but now where I'm on this two rack layout, it doesn't really make sense to have the sequencer in one of the two. I kind of want a central sequencer now. Um, I did I did get this. Uh, what was it called? Um, 
the Torize Squid. Uh, uh. This kind of pioneer desktop center, but that's going up on eBay soon. Um, that 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 didn't tick enough boxes for me, but I only learned that the yeah. hard way after buying it. Yeah. yeah. So this is the next attempt. You know, ask yeah. me again in a in a year or so. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so um, I want to just give you compliments on your modular world performance. That was oh, thank was you. So cool, uh, and the the lights and everything, and and I see uh. the lights behind you. So you're talking about the dual deck system, stretching a uh, a set out. And you're, you're incorporating a light show. Does this mean that like you're gearing up for some post-COVID um, live gigs? Um, are you maybe <laughs> thinking about some touring or anything like that? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, okay. Well, the lights—they're actually a DIY project, and I have to give kudos to my to my husband for the inspiration. Uh, he's a visual artist, and he started to uh, build. Uh, to make uh, large canvases with these cheap LED tubes that you can get on uh, on Amazon. And the thing is, they're cuttable. You can cut them into smaller parts and then you can solder uh, lines to them and so forth. And he asked me, you know, what would be a great way to control them? Um, so we mm -hmm. sat down together and we found this solution um, uh, which I really, really like. So in a nutshell, um, I took what we built for his light paintings and incorporate them into this light design, which is basically, these are just cheap LED tubes, um, long, two meters long, um, glued to plywood. And they are attached to really cheap DMX controllers. They're like, I don't mm -hmm. know, 16 euros a piece. Um, okay. and, and the DMX controllers are daisy chained. And the DMX controllers, again, are hooked up to a Raspberry Pi. Um, uh, okay. And for the for the Raspberry Pi, you can get this wonderful open source DMX program control program, which is called QLC Plus. Um, the Raspberry Pi version for that they demand a donation of like fifteen euros, but it, I think that's so fair. So basically, mm -hmm. an investment of a hundred less than hundred euros turns a Raspberry Pi into a very very capable DMX controller with MIDI in. So if you ah, set Q okay. if you set QLC Plus up the right way, you can just send MIDI nodes into the Raspberry Pi, which it then converts into DMX messages, so you can play the lights like another instrument instrument without any oh my God. you know tweak you can turn any sequencer into <laughs> a dmx light controller with this design uh, and I, so I will cool. do a youtube i will do a youtube video about it about you know the settings that you need for qlc plus and so forth and and i just really wanted to do that and it was COVID times and you know we were confined to our apartment basically but we have this unused attic uh on t uh, above us and that's where we shot the video for the modular okay. performance and that's really what i built the uh the led tubes uh, uh for really um in terms of okay a post-covid plans um i th th things are evolving a little bit i was i was in fact approached by a small um, label uh, that's associated with a with a party that's that's been running in in a club here in Berlin for the past nine years, and the label and the party are called Dessert, uh, both uh, done by the wonderful Tom Peters. Um, and he asked me if you know if I had some material. Um, he had seen some of my stuff on on the internet, and I sent him some of the tracks that I had finished. Uh, and he actually took two of those um, for a first EP release, which is uh, oh, cool. which is uh, which is going to come out. Uh, well, if, if things go really well, they will come out in June. And 
uh, if things go well, because I'm not the only person on that label, um, we'll do, you know, we'll play some showcases um, and things like that and play at the club probably in August. But, you know, it's still, you know, Germany is not is, a, is not as far as ahead, as far as far ahead um, as the US in terms of vaccination. Um, so mm -hmm. um, things are looking very, very bright again, but it's still a little bit unclear when things are going to yeah. go back to normal. It's so weird. I'm I'm fully. I just got fully vaccinated. So pretty much everybody that I associate with now, uh, super in my day to day has been. And yeah, very lucky for that. And I'm I'm we're all we're all getting very very uh, excited for the prospect of a summer of doing stuff. But part of yeah, me is still kind of like ah, we're not in the clear yet. Something I'm just I'm nervous that something some some unforeseen thing is going to happen and and set us back a little bit. But I don't know. Fingers crossed. Um, but I don't want to be a downer and we're running, we're, we're, we're coming up on an hour and I don't want to take too much more of your time. Cause I know it's, uh, it's getting late over there, but is it, do you have, I mean, it must be kind of, that sounds like from an outsider's perspective, it sounds kind of like a dream to have your husband be a visual artist while you're a sound artist. Like it seems like it's, it's a lot of room for collaboration. Um, I mean, other than this light in installation, have you guys thought about doing an art installation together or anything like that? Oh, we have, we, we already have, we've done, we've worked together, you know, properly, I'd say three times. Um, okay. And, um, and every time we built, um, well, I, <laughs> he built and I basically contributed a lot of electronics and sounds. We tried to build complex socio-technical systems. So for example, um, there was one piece, one performative installation where we had an entire room in, in, the, in an abandoned factory building in the city of Leipzig and we put in a huge modular uh, system and we rigged the room with infrared sensors and infrared controls. Um, and we had a group of dancers uh, perform in there, and we had uh, we had made costumes, or he um, and and Angelica, who we did this together with, they had made special costumes for the dancers, for which I built little infrared light emitting devices that they wore, and the closer they would get to different parts of the room, they would trigger infrared sensitive switches which would then trigger some sort of cv cascade whatever oh, so wow. basically we had the synth in the room which was playing a huge generative patch so it was droning on its own but mm -hmm. depending on what the dancers did they would trigger different parts of the patch and at some point even kill the generative patch bring it kick in a sequencer with that would kind of play like a more of a clubby tune and then they would have a choreographed dance to that but we had also built this huge zeppelin uh about probably eight nine ten meters long that was hanging down from the ceiling and it was filled <laughs> with compressed air and the, the dancers also had these pumps attached to their bodies and then they connect themselves with these tubes to the to the zeppelin and it was this also you know it was these <laughs> many different crazy. <laughs> kinds of connections there's a there is a video about this there's a short clip about this on uh, on um on vimeo on my husband's uh, Vimeo page. I'll I'll send you the link. Um, yeah, I'll put it in the show description. Things like that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's awesome. All right. Well, um, like I said, we are uh, we're well, we are ten seconds away from an hour. So I wanted before we go, are you interested in doing the patch challenge? Um, basically, what I would do, you, you it's Tell not me. real time. 
I would just okay, give good. you a, a, a random adjective and a random noun, and then when we're done, on your own free time, you just take some time to create a patch based off of the two words, and oh, then you can absolutely. record that. Okay, cool. Well, let me let me generate you some words off of my little word generator here. I, um, need, I need to bring up a word processor. Hang on, so I can write this down. Okay, fire away. All right, let's see. Um, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, doesn't mean anything either. Sorry, sometimes it takes it takes a few minutes for this thing to yeah, give yeah. me something interesting. <laughs> I don't think this means anything, but it makes me laugh. Dostoyevskian lover. Dostoyevskian. Okay. <laughs> Dost. Well, yeah, Dostoy we can we can keep going because that doesn't mean anything. How about shadowy unknown? That's kind of cool. Again, shadowy Shad unknown. That's that one's kind of fun. Um, shadowy unknown, I think, is really great. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that one. Um, so and shadowy then as the adjective to shadow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like like something that is unknown and, and very yeah. like covered in shadows. Um, oh, come on. That's already a track name. Yeah, yeah, right? Um, and so I like to give everybody the last the last few minutes to uh, to scream anything they'd like from the modular mountaintops, so to speak. Is there, yeah. is there anything we haven't covered that you want to get out there? or I, Just one two or two sentences about the modular community, which I think is really, really special. So on the one hand side, to give you a, a short concrete example, when I built the SynLimp or when I tried to build the SynLimp, um, I, I, I had a roadblock and I realized I needed a circuit design and it was too complicated for me. And I realized that in the field kit by Kuma Electronic, there probably is a circuit that I'm looking for. So I send them an email, describe the project. And I mean, this is a propriety product. And Krizi, the owner of Kuma Electronic, he, 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 he answered me in five minutes and said, here's the circuit design. Let me know if you need, if you need any help. That was two years ago. Oh, that's we've awesome. Become, we've become really good friends in the meantime. And he's, and he's, uh, you know, he's designing all the, all the PCBs uh, for me. And I think this is symptomatic for the attitude which is so supportive and you know i've i've had i've i've i have friends who are in other parts of the music world and they experience worse much worse and and we have this wonderful community and you know people like Jonah wells uh who did the the modular world show i mean come on he sits down for 34 hours mm, yeah. and 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 has 130 plus performers from all over the world uh from from all parts of the u.s and then he goes through all of the time zones to singapore to tehran and, the, and 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 there's just so much love and appreciation and support for the entire 34 hours not a single bad word not even on the on the chat mm -hmm. and the, and and you know the show that you're making and the many other great podcasters out there um, who support the modular uh, community. Um, it's, I find it so amazing the kind of supportive community and the artistic diversity that we have from people who just do noise, random droning, people like Itai who plays punk rock and sings on his synths, <laughs> and then people who do stupid, uh -huh. do, do stupid techno. Like it shows the, like, the <laughs> diversity 
and the creativity of humankind in the best possible way, I think. And, and, and I, I feel so at home uh, in this community. Uh, and for that, I'm, I'm, I'm forever grateful. I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm. I talk about it so much that I'm sure the, the listener, the regular listeners get get tired of hearing me talk about, the community of this, uh, you know, the the love and the, the openness and everything. But um, it's, it's just it's it's so true. It's so it's so open and so welcoming. And um, I don't. It hasn't changed yet. And you know, over the last three years, it's just gotten deeper and richer. And and I know people worry that it's as it's getting as modular gets more popular um they worry about that community but i i think there's a good enough foundation where we can we can keep a slice of it you know the way we have it right now um if we just stick together and keep supporting each other and man thank you for supporting the community with your wonderful show all right here is Bertolt's patch
And that's our show. Thank you so much to Bertolt, Dr. Meyer, for coming on. It was an absolute blast. As you could probably tell by the tone of my voice, I was just nerding out so much on his uh, academic research. Um, thank you to all of the sponsors. Patchwork Seattle, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com for all your synthesizer needs. Needham Woodworks, the finest Eurorack cases in the land. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to Afterlater Audio for their continued support of the show and for my recent employment. Uh, check out that Benjamin V2 and the expanders for it. I can't get enough of it. Um, what else? Check out Noiseye Orbit and the the macro from FSS slash mute and stum from FSS slash mute. And finally, the sound destruction device from Recovery Effects. Um, and thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. And thank you for listening to Podular Modcast each week. Until next week.